All right, folks, before we get to the main thing, I want to let you know that this episode of Oil & Gas Upstream is made possible by our good friends at Technip FMC. Now, you probably know them for their subsea business, but did you know that Technip FMC is doing fantastic things for the industry at the surface? The latest innovation is called Emission. And Emission will let you monitor and control vapor pressure Oil and in gas real production time. is the to union of more, natural systems with advanced FMC. science com. and complex engineering. Smart people across the globe create this remarkable place we call Upstream. And each day brings a new challenge. This is the Oil and Gas Upstream podcast, where we look at how these systems come together and learn from the people who make it happen. Welcome to Oil and Gas Upstream. I'm Elena Melkert, your host. Some of you know me as the former director for Oil and Gas Upstream Research at the U.S. Department of Energy. I retired from the DOE about a year ago and founded a small consultancy and became a podcast host. Before I introduce our guests, I want to thank Technip FMC for sponsoring this podcast. And I want want to ask you to do me a big favor by answering a one question survey. It takes about 10 seconds and the the link is in the show notes below. In return, we will happily send you some stickers for your laptop or your hard hat or your briefcase. I also want to tell you about a new podcast that we've launched, Oil and Gas Geopolitics with Jordan Driscoll. This is a, there's a link in the show notes below. So now I'd like to introduce today's guest, Viren Parekh with Ericsson. Today's, uh, thanks for, uh, Hi, Viren. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Elena. Thank you for having me. So Viren oversees business development for energy at Ericsson for the North American region. He has over 22 years of experience in the telecom industry. At Ericsson, he's excited about showing the many companies in the oil and gas industry how private cellular-based networks can help unlock value in their operations and aid in their digitization efforts. Mm, That's hard for me to say. Viren resides in the Dallas metro area. Welcome again, Viren. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I guess today we're going to talk about connectivity. Connectivity um, of our communications, I guess, is where I understand it the best. I I take it for granted that when I um, try to call someone on my cell phone or send a text or anything like that, that all everything I'm going to need is going to be there. That the communication is there. That the fo- calls won't fall off. That um, I can send texts. That they'll be received. That I'll receive everything uh, that I need. I just really take that all for granted. And um, that creates great value for me and my time and and my relationships. And and that's all wonderful. But I really don't think a lot about it unless there's a a challenge. So so I'm hoping that you'll talk with us today about how that value uh, exists in the oil and gas sector, kind of where we've been, where we are now, uh, uh, with respect to the current state of the art of technologies perhaps, and, um, and the future and, and what's possible for co- connectivity for the oil and gas sector and the value that it brings. Does that sound good to you? 
Absolutely. Great. Let's go ahead and start with Ericsson. Talk to us about Ericsson and connectivity and that whole world. I'm not sure that I, I knew that before we met, um, that of Ericsson's yeah. role. So Ericsson is a, um, you know, most people probably associate us with um, the the cell phones back probably in the 90s um, and maybe the early 2000s, uh, the Sony Ericsson phones or the, the Ericsson uh you know, little little palm-sized phones that that everyone used to carry around. Um, yeah. But the company is, you know, the company is about 140, 45 years old. Started out as just a basic telephone repair company uh, in a kitchen uh, in our in our founder's uh, kitchen out in Stockholm, Sweden. So it's a it's a Swedish company, and uh, today, you know, the you know, it, and it, depending on where you, what part of the world you're in, and what country you're in, most countries we probably control probably somewhere between thirty to seventy percent of the telecom, LTE, five G uh, uh, market for the operators that provide most, you know, all of us the the basic service of of mobile connectivity and, and mobile cellular services. Um, the company is taking, of course, that same technology that, that they've been a leader in, the, the 4G and the 5G technology, and they're, of course, applying it to private networks and using their know-how and, and their expertise into into private networks. And and the whole idea here is, of course, you know, when we think of when we think of cellular, when we think of uh, mobile communications, most of us go straight to our phones. We're like, oh, you know, I want to do YouTube, or I want to, you know, I want to text message my friends, or I want to make a quick voice call to to tell someone that you know I'm coming over. Um, but the, the the reality, of course, is that for 5G and especially around, you know, for for 5G, um, there is there is this push that. With combined with all the other things that are going on in, in industry, which we you know which we more commonly call industry 4.0, uh, you know combining it with with principles like automation and machine learning and, and artificial intelligence and cloud computing and all these different things that are going on, and you add the 5G component to that, the connectivity component. The idea is is that we're going to accelerate the fourth industrial revolution, right? You know, so if you look at the first three industrial revolutions, I think the first one was steam powered. The second one was, um, uh, you know, um, um, you know, fossil fuel based. The third one was sort of the the computer and and, and the processor chips, and the fourth one would be essentially what what we're going through now. And, and the idea is is that we're going to be able to hopefully really kind of unlock the the value that an enterprise can gain in terms of productivity and, and lower costs. And Ericsson basically wants to be a part of that through the private cellular offerings. Okay, so let me get this straight. The fourth industrial revolution has to do with connectivity? Is that what you're saying? Con- connectivity is a component in the industrial 4.0. So it's one component in a... In a in a long chain of, of different things, right? So if you imagine if you imagine a bicycle chain, right? There's there's links that make up that entire chain that complete that that entire bicycle chain. Every link, sort of, if you look at it from the standpoint that every link represents a capability that we today you know have in in, in society. One of those links may be cloud computing. Another one may be artificial intelligence and advances in artificial intelligence, machine learning. A third one may be edge computing. A fourth one may be, um, you know, the the capabilities of sensors to be able to pick up more information. And then one one of those links would be connectivity. You know, four G, five G connectivity. The, the the concept is is that if you're trying to look at one use case or multiple set of use cases or 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 a use case at a time, 
if you look at it as a chain, you need every one of those little pieces to complete that use case. And if you take one of those components out, that entire chain breaks. It's you know it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't fulfill its purpose. And so when you look at industrial 4.0 revolution to get to where we want to go as a society and for enterprises to be able to sort of go forward, including oil and gas, right? And, and oil and gas, I think, is, is one of these industries that has, you know, probably embraced digitalization a little bit earlier than some of the other ones, but it's also, you know, also one of the ones that, of course, will absorb it a little slower also because of the fact that it is a, it's a very big industry. It's it's heavy machinery. It's heavy equipment. There's a lot of regulations around oil and gas. Um, so it's it's a slow process, but oil and gas is moving there. Absolutely. I get it. I'm getting it now because we always talk about upstream as being this whole system of systems, uh, many moving parts. We tend to focus and have expertise on pieces of it, but you, you know, you can't use a raw barrel of oil. You can't use crude. It's got, there are steps. There are different pieces that come together, different areas of expertise that come together, different technologies have to come together. And so I get it from the sense of upstream. I hadn't thought about it in the sense of, what do I call it? Communica- communication, digitization. What do we call that space? Uh, in general, uh, yeah, I think in general it's it's kind of called IT, right? It's kind of the IT that's space. That's right, IT <laughs> space. That's what I call space. it. Yeah. <laughs> Not being that's an correct. IT person, I, I uh, that's yeah. what I call. It. Everything falls into that yeah. basket. Yeah, and it is something that I definitely I think most of us take for granted, and um, the future of oil and gas really, uh, especially in the subsurface, since we can't really see what we do, really is in this ability to to use that that IT space um, in many, many different ways, including the sensors, including getting the information from the bit face to the surface so that the driller can make those those decisions, or even if there's remote drilling or automated drilling, those those kinds of things. Well, good, so um, maybe, uh, well, let's keep going. I'm very interested in the various use cases that you would uh, kind of share with us uh, and just show me just how much I am taking for granted <laughs> in this space, because I really, I it, it's a very specialized area but we depend on it completely and I guess there's a little energy use uh, with respect to that space as well so you know that's definitely an important part where uh, oil and gas are making a car I should say fossil and hydrocarbons are making a, uh, a contribution in that space for that electricity so okay but this is your story tell us about use cases in oil Absolutely, and gas Absolutely yeah so so the way of course you know the, the whole story of digitalization you know we, if you kind of look at it as a as a three-legged stool um you know, digitalization processes overall, from a high, you know, from a from a very high level standpoint, kind of address three things for for most corporations, right? For most uh, most uh, enterprises, one of course is the efficiency, right? So that means either a a lower you know lower cost structure or a better top line, right? In terms of increased production, increased revenue, or you know, doing things more efficiently, lower cost. Second one is safety, right? So you look at from the standpoint that you know, for for enterprises, having workers, having them safer and safer environments, being able to detect hazardous conditions quicker. That's 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 the the second type of application across digitalization platforms. And then, of course, the third one, which is a big one, and, and that's been coming up quite quite a bit. It of course is um, is ESG. Uh, environmental, uh, you know, environmental concerns, and, and making sure that um, you know that uh, that that we're not we're not leaking, you know, uh, uh, you know, emissions, 
that that there's uh, even from a resource uh, usage standpoint that you know can we do some say the same task in less consumed fuel. Um, so, so the other one is, of course, ESG targets, which I know quite a few uh, quite a few firms have have signed up for uh, for some of those targets, uh, um, you know, from from a global perspective. So, if you look at individual use cases, and the the way to look at this also is from a onshore versus offshore standpoint. So, connectivity, wireless connectivity, uh, provides much more, you know, for, for lack of better words, bang for your buck um, in offshore environments versus onshore environments. So for example, um, operations and monitoring, right? So sending people out to a offshore rig, let's say you need 100 people to do a certain task. Well, with connectivity and, and enabling all the digitalization systems and, you know, connectivity being one component of that, you can reduce that down to maybe 10 to 20 people. And then, you know, you would have, of course, all the automation, the sensors, the connectivity that it would bring back, all of that remotely being inspected instead of having to send the 100 people to manually collect information on those um, on those sensors, on those pumps and compressors on a on an offshore um, offshore site. Um, Onshore, it's a little bit different. Right. And uh, and for onshore, they say that that instead of 80, maybe it's somewhere between 33 percent or so. So it's about a third. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's break down some of those components um, for um, upstream, specifically in the different facets. So there's the drilling phase, right? There's the testing phase. There's the production phase, and then there's the well production operations, and then there's perhaps the workover phase, and that one kind of iterates uh, again and again: production, operations, maintenance, covenant, until you get toward the end of the life of a of a particular asset of a well or group of wells or whatever. So, again, we're talking about the ability for uh, whatever sensors we use, whatever signals we receive whatever uh, communications uh, that we want to have with base operations, be they you know, onshore, offshore, uh, and, then, and then getting that information, kind of that communication and that data to the home base, back to the site, uh, and being able to make possibly real-time decisions with all of that. So, so I'm aware of sensors. I'm aware of different kinds of uh, software that can plug into sensors at the surface, different kinds of software that can connect to the subsurface, to the assemblies downhole, uh, and, and, and the need for as close to real-time information as the operations can get. So you're talking about making all of that kind of thing possible, both onshore and offshore, with respect to subsurface, and then maybe some special cases for offshore because it is so remote. Right, right. Because of the logistics required to, to put people out to, uh, you know, on, a, on, an, on an FPSO or on a jackup, um, you know, being able to, the, the logistics around that and, and the coordination, I think the, uh, the, the metrics, the, the ROI is a little bit better. Um, you know, it actually it's probably significantly better for offshore compared to onshore. But I wanted to go back to, you know, you mentioned sensors, right, for, for upstream. You know, I mean, this, this could, you know, obviously that's also onshore as well. But there's a few other use cases also that apply to upstream. Um, so there's, um, you know, there's, there's uh, what, what we call optimization. 
So imagine, of course, there's the sensors, so you have real-time, you know, real-time operations and monitoring, which you mentioned. Um, but then there's also, if you take that a step further, you can collect all of that data from all those motors and, and pumps and valves and compressors, collect all that data, create a history of it, right? Put it into a data lake, and then you can have algorithms that actually tell you when that pump or that valve is going to fail, right? And so now all of a sudden, you know, you, you take it a step further in, into predictive maintenance, predictive operations, um, and you're able to predict, okay, you know, if I think that this pump is going to fail in the next three months, then maybe the next time I'm going around doing my scheduled maintenance or upgrades, I can go ahead and replace that pump so I don't, I don't lose that, that, uh, that, uh, that well for, for production, right? Um, the other things that uh, the other use cases that are um, that are also pertinent, of course, is um, there's certain applications where, depending on the hazardousness of the environments, um, you know, certain companies are sending robotic uh, robotic you know little AGVs like auto automated automated guided vehicles through connectivity, of course, you know, being controlled through connectivity with cameras to to do inspections, to do remote inspections. Um, you know, and some of this is actually automated to the point where some of these some of these things can happen on an automated schedule for uh, for some of these companies. That's one where you know they talk about remote. Basically, what they talk about is remote monitoring, or you can send drones, or you can send these these robotic uh, these robotic vehicles to go out there and do those inspections for you, right? And depending on whether you're offshore or onshore, again, that can reduce your 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 workload by you know anywhere from thirty three to to seventy eighty percent. So again, we're not talking about um, Ericsson developing sensors or software or platforms, but you're talking about that connectivity that I take for granted, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. No, we're not even talking. Yeah. At this point, you know, this is all just kind of the the realm of private networks, right? This is this is kind of just the the idea of using private networks to unlock the the um, you know, the bottleneck that connectivity poses to the operations at an upstream type site, right? Or an upstream type application. So private networks. Oh, I didn't, that didn't occur to me. I guess that's absolutely right. They're not competing with me on the telephone. They have private networks connections and it's that connectivity between all the nodes on that private network, right? That is what makes this possible. So I guess if you're moving lots of data, then that network is probably going to have a different, uh, I don't know, different features, different capabilities or whatever, just to be able to move data and right, keep the integrity yeah. of the data. Talk a little bit about that because data is so important, as you said, it for is, yeah, predictive yeah. Uh, maintenance, but also for just analyzing the subsurface and see, are you going to get your money? Are you going to be able to right. produce the way you want to? Correct. So so private networks is, is basically the idea that you know, for a for an enterprise that's that's out there, whether it's the the you know the the owner of the well or a service company that's out there, working you know working the well, um, the the idea around private networks is that it's a basically a mini LTE or or 5G type system that's out in the field, and most of these LTE 5G systems can probably cover anywhere from you know 10 to you know a few hundred square miles worth of worth of uh, of, of um, coverage area, right? At a at a given time, um, 
And the idea is that this private network is owned by the IT team, right? The enterprise's IT team. So it sits behind their firewall. So the, you know, the, your question about security is that all of this is behind the firewall for the enterprise. So it's not, it's not out on a cloud. It's not out in some public sphere somewhere. It's not on a, on a public network of any kind. It's, it's behind their firewall. And they have full control over it. And, and one of the things that we hear on other alternate technology systems is that security is a big issue. Here, everything is locked down because it's fully encrypted, just like on our phones, right? We don't ever hear anyone breaking into what we're transmitting, right, uh, in terms of, you know, over the air. We don't ever hear that on our LTE phone, you know, on our LTE devices. Similarly here, it's all fully encrypted. So the encryption resides in, on the device and on the network. So from a security, it's, it's fully hardened from that standpoint. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very robust from a security. And as a matter of fact, Ericsson's had some clients where that was one of the biggest reasons they decided to go with a private LTE 5G network versus a alternate Wi-Fi type network was because of the security aspects. So does Ericsson like build these networks or support networks or how, what's the connection between the need and the solution? We do. So we, uh, we, we do build the networks, uh, you know, as, as I had mentioned. We, we basically, it's a, it's, a, it's a miniaturized version of the, the larger network that we sell to, to the, bigger, uh, the bigger operators. The only difference, of course, is that we strip away a lot of the non-essential type functionality that telecom operators need but enterprises don't need, right? So the, the basic security and the basic capability of the reliability and the robustness of the, uh, of the LTE signal and its ability to, to transmit back and forth is still there. But all the other stuff that telecom operators need to be able to support, you know, New York City and L.A. and all these big cities and small towns, all that's stripped away, right? Um, so um, so El- Ericsson designs and builds these systems. We have it in a fully small, you know, on a fully packaged system. And we've made it in a way where it's fairly easy to, you know, for a IT manager to be able to pick it up and, and be able to understand and run it. Now we do have we do have partners that we we partner with, and they help us to, you know, in terms of the distribution and and uh, you know approaching the uh, the industry segments. Um, and we also have an option if if uh, certain enterprises are interested in wanting to work with us directly, we have a direct path as well. So we have a few different options there. Yeah. So, so is most of the oil and gas sector connected, um, if you will, to these private networks? Or how? I would. I mean, the oil and gas business is kind of has Elena's oil and gas company with couple, yeah. you know, wells, and then we've got you know the major integrated companies right. and right. global multinational companies, and so, so this it's a continuum. So, it is. Yeah. is yeah. I mean, how would what would you say about that connectivity? Yeah, yeah. For so the I can industry? I can definitely tell you the super majors are definitely looking at it. As a matter of fact, the super majors probably even have entire organizations that are sort of dedicated to to some of these uh, some of these concepts and uh, and and applications and integrating that into their IT and OT uh, environments. Um, some of the other uh, well known players are also looking at this, and it's um, you know it's 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 more prominent here in the U.S. I think some of our U.S. companies are a little bit more advanced in this application because of certain other things that are going around. Um, the The rest of the world, there are certain pockets that are pretty advanced, but quite 
a bit of the rest of the world, especially for oil and gas, is not as advanced. And there's there's a few reasons for this. I think one, of course, you know, the U.S. has always kind of led in terms of oil and gas, in terms of, you know, the uh, the innovation and, and the technology applications and, uh, and uh, the know-how in terms of the oil and gas industry. And this kind of goes right, right in that in that exact same type of, um, you know, sphere kind of thing, right? Um, the other part of it is also that in the U.S., our, our federal, uh, you know, the, what we call the FCC, the, 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 the folks that control the spectrum, the airwaves here in the U.S., um, we've got a very specific band or spectrum band that is specifically designed for industry. And so s- most parts of the world don't have a, a specific band that's specifically designed for industry. They don't have that at their disposal. What that means is, is that, you know, any company, you know, Joe Schmo's oil and gas services can basically tap into that industrial spectrum here in the U.S., put up a network, run that network, and, you know, and, and that, that's, that's their right to do that. And it's for very little effort, right, with, with the right set of partners and the right know-how, Joe Schmo's oil and gas company can do that with very, very little effort. And they can have a fully fledged network, a little mini telecom network out in the middle of West Texas, ready to go running, operating and, and doing everything that they need to do. The same cannot be said for most parts of South America or for parts of the Middle East. For there, they have to work with the local telecom operators because they control all the spectrum. And the governments there have told the operators that it's your spectrum and for private networks, you're, you know, everyone's going to go through you. So, so there, there's a little bit of a, a different play there. And that's partly the reason why private networks for oil, U.S. oil and gas majors and, and oil and gas industry has taken off, um, you know, to some degree. And, and the rest of the world is, is still kind of playing catch up in, in some parts of that. So that's part of the uh, ESG uh, sphere of um I want to say concern, you can't, well, here in the United States, you can set yourself up so you can almost predict upset conditions, but you certainly can respond in a timely manner if an upset condition uh, manifests itself. But in places where you don't have these capabilities, you would have to send someone on their normal routine and, you know, then they would happen on the well. And if you're talking about several thousands of wells, how long would it take before you discover an upset condition and what might be happening environmentally um, in that in that time frame? So in the U.S., we don't have to suffer that because we have these capabilities and we just have to set yourself up to be able to know what's going on with your um, with your various assets. Correct. Yeah, I would say in the U.S. there's obviously segments of the oil and gas industry that's still also, you know, not set up in the same way as some of the really big companies. But but correct. I think overall as a whole, U.S. is probably one of the most probably one of the most advanced in terms of the oil and gas industry adopting private cellular networks. Yeah. I mean, if I had to put a number at it, I would probably say, you know, probably around the 25 to 40 percentile in terms of being able to utilize private cellular networks. Right, right. So that's kind of like where we are now. It's current state of the art. Mm-hmm. What's the future hold for us? Personally, for for me and for Erickson, I'd like to I'd like to see that number definitely definitely go up. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it's it's got to make sense for the companies that we're calling on, right? And it's got to it's got to make business sense, and it's got to make it's got to make 
overall sense into their IT operations, their OT operations, and then that in itself is, is a bit of an op, is a bit of a, a process, and you know, and so you know, ideally, I, I think with everything else going on in terms of digitalization and the focus on digitalization in the oil and gas industry in general. I think that number will continue to to creep upwards over the next you know that over the next few years, next decade, next maybe couple of decades. Um, and the other part of this, of course, is that the the more an enterprise is digitalized, the the you know the better cost numbers that they have, right? The better cost efficiency they have in, in terms of in terms of their production. You know, just the um, a couple of years ago, McKinsey uh, McKinsey wrote a report on uh, on upstream uh, the upstream sector and uh, and connectivity playing a role in the upstream sector, and they said that with proper connectivity, you know, through proper channels of connectivity and and, and a handful of different options, of which private cellular was one of them, they had predicted that an enterprise could lower their barrel of oil equivalent by twenty to twenty five percent. Now that's that's a pretty significant number. You know, for to unlock that value in uh, in your cost number. So, I think as as more of these things continue to push forward, you know, at some point, the you know some some of these firms are going to face the fact that okay, connectivity is the last bottleneck we need to solve for. So let's let's look at the the different options and and you know hopefully that's where private networks will will kind of come into play and uh, and help play you know help kind of unlock and push them forward, right? Yeah, yeah. So that that uh, value proposition is the bottom line, right? That's absolutely uh, what needs to happen. Um, so what about uh, tech? So are there any limits to the technology? I mean, as you know, everyone's thinking about uh, trying to understand the subsurface better, uh, more real time, master the subsurface for real time decisions. Those those kinds of things, which is a very data intensive. Um, uh, enterprise, data intensive, and speed. You want to, I mean, you want basically for the driller to know exactly where to place the well and avoid any uh, wasted effort, any wasted uh, money, resources, and, and anything. And of course, we cannot see what we're doing down there. Mm-hmm. So, so more and more data, more sensitive sensors, I guess is the way to put it, sensors that can capture more parameters, and then the speed at which that data, that can be translated into information, then translated into insights that give operators, or let's just say the driller, um, the opportunity to make an, you know, to use his computer, his brain, uh, or her brain, to be able to make the best decision in that moment for this whole asset. And so what what are some of the limitations perhaps? Where are we going to go in the future with that? Because, you know, bottom line is there are, there are the people who adopt technology at the front end. And then there's people who, when it becomes, you know, the way of life, that that's when then they move in. So what's happening at the front cutting edge is this notion of wanting to have that information and developing the capabilities. I mean, that's the edges of research, developing the capabilities to read whatever the reservoir is telling you in the moment that it is speaking to you. And so what are some limitations we have now and where are we going to go with that in the future? No, that, that's a great question, and actually, to to your point, um, we've heard of we've heard of cases where, you know, we we've talked to um, companies that service some of those wells, and, and they, they they sort of act as as um, servicers or they act as application providers, 
you know, in a small niche part of, of the overall piece. And they've told us in the past that, yes, you know, we'll, we'll collect all of our data, you know, through the sensors that's at the well and through the, through, through the, through the drilling process. We'll put it on a hard drive, we'll collect it, and then we'll have a van that goes around and collects all the hard drives and then drink, drink, brings it back. And I was shocked when I learned about that. I was like, wow, that's, uh, that, that's interesting. So you can just imagine right then and there that if, if, that, if those sensors were immediately connected to some sort of connectivity, all that data would come back almost immediately, right? And you would have your your folks at the, um, you know, at the base, you know, base camp or, or at the uh, at the head uh, head office, being able to process that almost in real time, right, or near real time, and be able to provide decisions back right away. You know, at minimum, you're losing, you know, you're, you know, you're you're basically gaining a day, right? But subsequently, much much more than that. Um, but in terms of what you were saying, right, in terms of being able to, you know, to, to have all this amount of information and data coming back through the network and then, of course, processing it, um, you know, through whether it's through cloud computing or whether it's through edge computing, being able to make insights, that's the end goal. That is the end goal. And, and you asked what are some of the challenges to, to help us get there. Um, and I think, I think it's a number of things. If I was to if I was to probably point out number one, number two, I would say number one, of course, is you know, is part of it is is the lack of familiarity with this type of technology for you know the IT folks within these companies. Now the big one, the oil, big oil, oil and gas majors, they have they have almost complete separate uh, groups that focus just on this. But the vast majority of the rest of the industry. You know, your, your IT managers are focused on 15 other things, right? And this just happens to be one of those 15 things. And so there is a lack of, you know, at least in my opinion, there is a lack of familiarity with private cellular type systems and understanding what they're capable of, how complex they are, um, and, and being able to, 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 to fully understand how, okay, how, how do you utilize it? And then the second is, of course, you know, convincing, convincing the the, the, the you know the the company's management the company's um, you know organizational structure to say this is where we want to go with this right let's let's give this a shot um, I think that that in itself is also a challenge is, is convinced because obviously the oil and gas industry is one of these where if, if it's done a certain way and if it works you know why upset why upset the cart right um, and so trying to get folks to, to to change and move and it's not necessarily a bad thing I think it's just a matter that us as vendors, we just have to find the right, the right way to, to offer up our offerings in a way that's bite-sized, which the industry can, can you know can can uh, can absorb, right? So so that that that's more uh, you know what I think is is part of the challenge. From a technical standpoint, um, you know there are some technical challenges as well, in terms of making sure that the planning is properly done, the technical planning is properly done, but. Those are probably more secondary and, and further downstream, um, you know, further downstream in the process and the overall process of, of putting a private network together. I think the first set of challenges are, you know, basically the education process with the IT and the OT folks and then the, the change management that happens within the organization. Yeah, yeah. Wow, this is just fascinating. It's not my area of expertise. Like I said, I take it all for granted. So I'm glad that somebody's thinking about it. But we're almost at the end of our time. Um, again, fascinating. Um, are there some maybe last thoughts you want to share with our listeners? 
I would. Uh, you know, of course, as Erickson, we're, you know, like, like you said, I think we're willing to experiment um, with any of the, uh, you know, any of the listeners that happen to work for any of the, uh, you know, the servicers that are out there. And if, if you guys, you know, if, if, if these companies are, are up for looking at potentially, you know, to, to push the envelope in terms of uh, use cases, you know, I think we're we're definitely uh, we're definitely willing to listen uh, to to uh, to potential there. But the the main thing I think that I want to leave here is that you know that that connectivity should not be the last bottleneck in a process, right? That it shouldn't be if if you're able to move forward with certain things when you implement you know, five or six different technologies to make certain use cases go forward, um, connectivity should not be the last bottleneck, right? And in order to answer and solve for it, private networks is a very much a manageable and a, uh, you know, very much a, a, a solution that can, that can work for oil and gas companies. And I know vendors like us, we're, we're out there, we, uh, and we're, we're willing to, to, to kind of move at the pace of oil and gas, right? Do POCs first, do small trial, and then eventually commercial implementation. So th- that's what I would leave it at. Absolutely. And, of course, I'm all for anything and everything that leads to energy support. Um, energy security and eliminates energy poverty and of course being able to communicate um, and have that connectivity I think is at the core of so much of this so so Eric Parekh with Ericsson thank you so much for being our guest today and for sharing all about your contributions to uh, upstream oil and gas thank you thank you Elena for having me And thank you, everyone, for listening. Please give us a review and tell us what you like and what you'd like to hear more about on future podcasts. This is Elena Melkert, your host for Oil & Gas Upstream. More next time. Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Upstream podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.